Jay, shh. I I have to talk. Shh. I am going to say that I think deciding to record in a library may have been a poor decision on our part. Shh. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um it's not the it's not really the best place for talking. No. Although it does fit our subject matter. I mean, we're surrounded by books, and many of them have been adapted into movies. But there's a really angry librarian giving us a shh. We are trying to record. I, I. Do you know who we are? Jay, will you tell her? Will you tell this lady who we are? Listen, bitch. Damn it. Moody and stuff. stuff. I love your stuff. Weird stuff. Sensitive stuff. Taxi stuff. Evil stuff. Piggling little stuff. Heavy stuff. Big boy stuff. Super cool stuff you wouldn't understand. The right stuff. All right. And we're back. Finally. That was A, disgusting, because it turns out that that librarian was actually the gray ghost lady from Ghostbusters. And I am, she went right through me. I saw that. It was, it's it's still like on me. It is. At and this point. I would suggest a good hot shower, maybe a full body shave. But okay, my question is, one, why does the library hire a ghost? And two, is she like presenting a resume, having an interview, or does she just haunt here? I think, really, I mean, to be fair, this library in particular, mm-hmm. in this specific city and town that we're in, yes, you know, the one. That the one at, you're in right now. Right, the one that we're currently yeah. located in. And the one that all of our listeners, wherever city you're in right now is where we're That's at. the library. That's the library. At. You know the one, guys. Right around the corner that and you never gals. go to, right. that you have a card for, but you never but you go don't to, but you because don't you have all those late fees yes. and all those books yeah. that you haven't returned. All those hardy boys that you never returned. We're on to you. We know. They did tell us about it, so you should probably get back here and pay those fines. You Honestly, know, you know who you are. This episode isn't even a real episode. We've just been contracted by the library. You know which one to return those books. Yes, we're talking to you. Specifically. You. Bring your books back. Otherwise, things are going to get yeah. nasty. <laughs> and slimy. And very slimy. But, okay, in all seriousness, she is gone now. Yes. And I think it's weird that she was here in the first place. Well, we should have known because the library has been closed for like four hours. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that she was still here shushing us right. was off-putting. It, it was odd, uh, especially considering I cut the alarm cord myself when we broke in. Right. So I know for a fact that we didn't, you know, we didn't we alert anyone to our presence. Nothing. Nothing. But. Silent. Like Mission Impossible style. We <laughs> dropped out of the ceiling with harnesses and wires and everything. It was great. Mine were heavy duty. Mine was just actually a really long Twizzler. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you fell through, because you were eating it at the time. I did. It doesn't work yeah. like that. You can't do that. So we are doing book to movie adaptations. Yes. This That's, is, uh, is another Stuff 2 episode. One of our famed Other Stuff 2 episodes. Right. People clamor for these. You can't get enough, because they're like, you know what? We love your top five list, guys, but we want you to dive into a topic and make us learn it about some different things. And only that. And, and, and we said, you know what? Fine. We'll do that for you. So these are more in depth. I would say more scholarly. I for would sure. definitely say more scholarly. And definitely this one because we're talking about books, which only smart people read. Uh, um, automatically elevates yeah. it to a very intelligent podcast. Yeah. So like, and I would say for listeners, take a second, look around you, figure you, out what a book yeah. is. Do you see a book? If you do, great. You can keep listening. If you don't, this one may be over your head. Fair enough. Yeah, just Fair like enough. that ghost that flew out of here. <laughs> Which right okay, here. and we have to we have to talk about how fortuitous. See, I'm using big words already. This I don't even episode, know what that means. Yeah, so we have to talk about how fortuitous this episode was because we scheduled a recording of this a while ago. We yeah, knew yeah. this was on the schedule. Oh, for sure. We knew we were going to be talking about this this week, recording this today. And it just so happened that what we the, didn't know was yeah, going to happen was the Dark Tower trailer got released this morning. Perfect. So, and if you haven't seen the trailer, go to high five, uh, the podcast.com, check in our bonus feature section, and we have a whole write up on it. But we had no idea that was happening today. Uh, no. But it's exactly what we're talking and about. And it gives us fodder to talk about. And on top of that, if you're thinking to yourself, holy shit, they put out such high quality episode in only two days, you're right. We did suck it. We are that 
good. Take that every other podcast. Right. Or, I mean, if you're listening to this in like five weeks because they stay online for a while, just know that we did this in two in days. two days. Yeah. yeah. Be impressed with us. And we are. Yeah. We're, we're our biggest fans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be is, honest. That's very true. For sure. Uh, so speaking of the Dark Tower trailer, let's talk about it. Okay. Because we got a lot to talk about. I let's and, and un- we'll, let's unpack that first. We'll use the Dark Tower trailer as a catapult into our discussion on what makes a good book to movie adaptation because there's a lot to dive into there. But I am so fucking excited. I know about this Dark so Tower let's, trailer. Let's preface this first. So, uh, Jay, you have this is one of your favorite book series of all time. You have read this like upwards to. F- seven or eight times in my life in its entirety, not just a couple books here and there. I've read the series, all seven plus the wind through the keyhole at least six or seven times as a from, whole from beginning to end. Okay. I did it. Uh, as you know, I did it like four months ago, very recently because I too, in mm-hmm. preparation for the movie was going to start reading the book series. And I made it about three quarters of the way through the second book. And then you realize they were books and then I was just like, Ugh, why am I reading this? There's a movie coming out. <laughs> I'm just going to watch the I'll movie. I'll just watch that. Which is the ultimate high school like uh, term paper excuse. So, uh, Well, to be fair, to I, am, you. I am just a permanent high school student. <laughs> it's about how I live my life. Well, it was weird that you texted me that one day and you're like, do you have the cliff notes for the Dark Tower? And I'm like, I don't think those exist. And you just said shit. Also, I remember that one time I accidentally sent you a text message and said, sorry, cough, cough. My mom said I can't come into school today. <laughs> yes. And you were like, what are you talking about? Why uh, did you text cough, cough? Right. And, and you're, you're like, like, to make it believable. Right. And I was like, like, oh, great. Okay. Cool. You're like, you realize that that's not, <laughs> never mind. I'm, it's not even worth trying to explain to you. And I was just like, what? And yeah. You're like, nothing. <laughs> but um, yes, to your point, I am a gigantic fan of this book series and have been since high school. I mean, he started writing the first one, Gunslinger, you know, well before I was at the age of when I was reading Stephen sure. King books. But I discovered it early on in my love <clears throat> of his canon. Sure. You know, I've read every Stephen King book that, that there is and... Um, I go back to them many, many times. I, I just love his style, but that to me, and it is not one of, it is my favorite book series. Okay. Um, so pretty, that's a pretty lofty statement. Yeah. And that's not to say that I think it's the best, you know, I, I, I would say, you know, quality wise, you have your Lord of the Rings and some of those that are quote unquote better. Harry Potter. I don't know. I would actually say that Dark Tower is better than Harry Potter. <laughs> and now, now that's audience, not taking listen, anything if, away. If you heard that and that made you super irate, please take to our Twitter. You know oh, how please. to find us at Hi the Number Five the Podcast. Please do hit us up. Tell us how just absolutely upsetting yeah. that statement was to hear. I mean, and please do because again, this is my personal opinions and my favorites. Right. I think they're technically crafted better. Okay. Now I think. Part of the consistency and what J.K. Rowling was able to do is probably more even. Sure, but she also didn't take some like twenty five years, right? And a van getting hit by a van that is to, true. to write that hers. Is true, and she also as has many a, times you know, as we tried to hit her with that van, and she also didn't write like fifty books in between either. No, correct. So I think she's only written one since, right? Which was pretty good, by the was way. Was it the one about like some the uh, vacancy? Yeah, casual the, vacancy. The casual vacancy. I did read that. I, um, I did look at the cover. Yeah. Uh, they made a, a, a BBC miniseries about it, talking about adaptation. I might watch that. Yeah. It's pretty boring. Oh, okay. Never mind. I but won't. it's about it's about like a small town in Eng- northern England that has a vacancy in their like council, like a council seat. And then the uh, town kind of turning on each other to get their delegate elected. It's very political and very small town. You said so many political words and I'm just yeah, looking at out. you, just glossy eyed. <laughs> you're and just out. Blank. Uh, my maw is agape and I'm just like staring at you very confused as to what you're talking about. But yeah, I mean for the dark tower, I have been waiting for this story to be adapted. What feels like decades, Mm. Um, you know, and there's always teases. They're like, Oh, Ron Howard's gonna, gonna produce it. And it's going to be like three movies and then two seasons of a TV show. And then a final movie. And, it's like, you know, Javier Bardem is going to star in it. It was like all these teases, and then like, nah, never mind. Like just the stu- kidding. studio didn't want to give all the money to have it done, so we're just not going to do it. And then like eight months later, they're like, wait, we may do it again. And then everyone like gets excited. And they're like, nah, we're not going to do it. 
And then finally, like a year and a half ago, they announced, like, no, it's seriously getting done this time. And we've cast Idris Elba and Matthew McConaughey. So we're filming it. So we're kind of like waiting on pins and needles. And you asked me what I felt after I watched the trailer today. And my initial feeling was I really enjoyed the trailer. Okay. But I am scared to death about this. About this movie. Sure. For multiple reasons. Okay. And it's not all the ones that everybody's throwing out, like, Idris Elba ain't the gunslinger. Oh, no, I love that. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. Um, no, my reasons are more on a technical basis. Okay. Like, it was supposed to be released in February. Sure. Which is a scary month. Yep. It wasn't and got pushed back to June. Very quietly. Like, yeah. It just kind of got, like, the studio was just like, it's like if they realized they forgot their wife's birthday and just kind of hoped they would not notice, too. Right, right. Like, that's sort of what it felt They're like. They're like, nobody was expecting it, right? Yeah. So we'll just kind of push it back. And then, you know, it was supposed to come out in June, and then stuff for It that's coming out in September started getting released before anything for The Dark Tower started getting released. Right. And they're like, no, we're doing some reshoots. And then, oh, by the way... That really great director that you thought was going to direct it at the beginning has dropped out, and this other guy who no one really has much Nikolai faith in, Arcel. Yeah, um, he's going to do it, but we're not going to release any promotion for it. We're going to keep pushing it back. So that's all scary. I'll be honest. Like that's what kind of scares me about this movie and this trailer is that they don't seem to have a lot of faith in it. So that's from a technical standpoint. I okay. Can I? So I'm gonna cut you off there. Yeah. Um, just so I can interject a little bit as somebody who. So here's what I noticed right off the bat, and this is stuff that I think you can maybe um, appease me, assuage yeah. my feelings on this, my concern. Well, and let me ask before you get started. Yes. Should this be a spoilery podcast conversation for you and any audience members who haven't read the book? Because I feel like we're going to get into territory where that might be necessary. I will say, let's dedicate the next five minutes to discussing this adaptation. Okay. okay? So the next five minutes will potentially be filled with spoilers. Okay. So if you don't want to hear spoilers, skip ahead about five minutes. And you'll be in the clear. Okay. So I'm going to time us. I'm looking at it right now. So we got five minutes to cleanly discuss this. All right. And you're fine if I ruin I'm fine with it you. because I will tell you this. I'm not going to finish the book series. Okay. Okay. Well, like, then, I, then I want to. I really want to. But I'm just. I'm probably. No, that's not. fine. I mean, I understand. Like, I from where you are in the stories right now. I am so I was so excited for you to get to some of the plot points that are coming up that aren't represented in this trailer at all, by the way. Okay. But if you're not gonna finish it, you're not gonna finish it, and then I can just tell you some yes. of the stuff that happens. So let me say first off, here's what I was confused by. As somebody who's read a book and three quarters, here's what here's what I noticed right off. First off, there it appeared that some of the time f- frames of things happening have kind of been mushed together. Yes. So there appeared to be in the trailer, a scene where the gunslinger is escaping tull, Mm -hmm. which happens in the first book. Right. Uh, he's leaving the town. Well, it's a story told in the first book. It's like a flashback. Correct. For it's happened before the, before anything even really happens in the book, except in the trailer, at least the way it was cut together, Mm -hmm. it appeared that Jake was there with him. Yes. That's what it looks like, which Jake didn't come into the first book until, Probably like halfway 90, yeah, in. 90, 110 pages in. And even then, was it had nothing to do with Toll. No. And he had no idea who the gunslinger was when he ran into him. Neither no. one of them knew who each other was. No. They also kind of make it appear like Jake is having visions of the gunslinger yeah. through this. And, like, and so when you see what I am assuming, per the trailer, is their first encounter. He's like, you're the gunslinger. Which also confused me because I'm like, that <laughs> is not at all what happens. Right. Okay. So is that them jumbling things or is that an illusion or are they alluding to something that happens later in the series? That is both. Uh, okay. Okay. So let me explain. All right. Um, again, spoiler tastic coming up. But and that's fine. But this, but we're discussing it yes. because this is appropriate because this is book to, to movie adaptation. What they've done is they've taken a lot of aspects from book three, okay. which you haven't gotten to. Sure. 
and and kind of mush them together with things that happened to the gunslinger in book one. Okay. So in book three, probably the first 200 pages are Jake living in New York and basically having a split personality because he remembers both his time with the gunslinger and dying Mm -hmm. and also him not going to Midworld and... He has two consciousnesses basically battling in his in head. In his head. And they're driving him crazy. And he's drawing the Dark Tower. And he's drawing the Gunslinger. And he's like writing essays for his high school like English classes that don't make any sense whatsoever. Okay. And Roland on the in the Midworld side is also having those realities conflict in his head. He has a reality where he did not meet Jake. And he goes under the mountain and meets the man in black. Right. Without him, and he has a reality where he drops the boy into the cavern. Okay. So, basically, through the first third of the third book, it's them trying to get Jake to Midworld so they both don't go crazy. Okay. So, the house that Jake goes into with the portal in the wall and the house uh-huh. like that, the floorboards come up and try to eat him, that all happens. Okay. Him having visions, going to therapy. That all happens. So these are things that are in other books, <clears throat> yes. but not necessarily in the books that I was in. Correct. So what you're telling me is, so they're gonna, so are they no longer planning on making this like a trilogy of films? Here's where it gets interesting, and here's where the true spoilers happen. Okay. This is not an adaptation of the Dark Tower. Okay. This is technically a continuation of the Dark Tower. The way the book series ends uh-huh. is Roland goes through all of his adventures, has a lot of shit happen to him, Eddie Dean, Susanna, and, um, and Jake. Jake along the way. Through the course of the book, he basically ends up at the Dark Tower by himself okay, because of different reasons. Sure. He goes to the Dark Tower, he climbs to the top, and there's a portal. Uh-huh. And you know he's vanquished all his enemies at this point. It's been fantastic and great and epic. He walks through the portal, and it pops him out as the gunslinger, the man in black, fled across the desert, and the gunslinger follows. Oh. So it's a Mobius strip. Okay. The whole book is a Mobius strip. So the gunslinger, and he has this conversation with the the Crimson King when he gets there, that he's basically like, "Your destiny is to search for the tower." You're sort of a protector of the tower. So as long as your story continues, the Dark Tower is protected. But your destiny and your curse is to never not be searching for the Dark Tower. So he's like, you've done this thousands of times. And you've gotten here thousands of times. And you start over thousands of times. is that in reference to, I saw Stephen King... We're nearing our five minutes. Yeah. Uh, I saw Stephen King reference something uh, when they first announced the movie, and there something like the horn of Eld has been blown or whatever. Yes. Okay. What that is a reference to, and why I know what I'm saying is true, is because in the story, they do flashbacks to when Roland was a kid, uh-huh. and there's a battle at what's called Jericho Hill, where all of his friends die except for him, and the horn of the horn of Eld is like this battle horn that was very famous and important to their family. And it gets destroyed in that battle because he doesn't hold on to it when one of his friends dies. Okay. He flees the area. When he exits the door in the dark tower and starts the trip over again in the desert at the beginning, he has that horn. So every time he does this trip, things can be different. All the same actions happen but it's different how they happen. Oh, so that's why they're saying in this movie, the same things are going to happen, but it can be in a very... It might not be in a different order. Maybe Jake's going to be in Tull when he wasn't in the first trip. Maybe they're having visions of each other I don't know if that is the most genius way to to satiate all of the fans' Mm -hmm. hopes and expectations is basically being like, they basically did a 2009 Star Trek reboot. They basically like, did. Like, they were just like, yeah, all that stuff also still happened. So it doesn't undo anything that you love. This is just something different yeah. in the same This continuity. is just another rotation of this Destiny curse. I'm totally on board with that. So That's, that's th- brilliant. Yes. Okay. But you see why I was so hesitant to ruin it for you? Because yeah. A lot of people were mad. I love it. I love the ending. Right. But a lot of people were mad because they're like, 
Well, if I, I just read this like, you know, 18, for him to start 18, over again, thousand word, you know, epic story. Right. And for it to just loop back on itself is like, oh, it was like all a dream, but it's not because it's, it's symptomatic of one literature being able to read stories, right. the life, how stories evolve. Right. Um, and one thing that I do want to point out, and this isn't spoilery, so if people have joined back in, they can. Um, one of the things I pointed out in our write-up of the story today is that, you know, they mentioned Pennywise in the trailer. They have the carnival set up for Pennywise. Yes. And they also, the Overlook Hotel is in a picture frame in the therapist's office. Right. One of the aspects of the Dark Tower is that Roland and his crew come to the prime, quote-unquote, prime reality uh-huh. and meet Stephen King, who is writing their story. And they're basically saying, you're a facilitator of the light. Like, you have to write the story or we die. I gotcha. And so they save him from getting hit by the van. Like What? Yeah. Like, they're the reason that That's he- all in the books? Mm-hmm. So Stephen King writes himself getting hit by the van in the, after he got hit by the van. Obviously, right. he didn't predict it. But, <laughs> I was about to. <laughs> holy <laughs> fuck, man! But so he writes that in, and he basically says that ever since that, you know, they erased his memory, and ever since that happened, he's had this desire and drive where he knows it's important that he finishes these novels, and he sort of writes and he like takes pages from his own journals okay. and puts them in as appendices to some of the books to say. Yeah, I went to see this movie today, and but man, I just really have this desire to get back to the Dark Tower series. And so the fact that those elements like Pennywise and the Overlook Hotel are in the trailer make me wonder if they're setting the stage to say Jake's reality is actually the King universe. Interesting. So Jake lives in the reality where the Overlook Hotel and the Shining happened. Right. Not like referencing a King story, but it happened in that reality. Right. So that's his reality. Yeah. Is, you know, there are other worlds than these is sort of the multi universe theory. So that Pennywise and the Overlook, all that stuff is in Jake's mm-hmm. actual universe. Yeah. Jake lives in the King in the verse. Kingverse. And that's where he's getting pulled into another storyline of Kings. Fascinating. I don't know if that's the way that it, what's happening. I, I hope they do that. But that's pretty cool. I, I mean, they've got pretty, that Castle Rock cool. show coming out on yes. Hulu. Oh, dude, I cannot wait. Which that could play into it I, as well. I've heard rumor that, okay, there was a long gestating rumor that the Dark Tower series, the movie series, would also have a tie-in television series. I've heard a theory about this, and I want it to the be The theory true. that this is going to secretly be the... Dark Tower television series that that's not talking that's about. not what I'm talking about. Oh, okay. There is another more popular and I think more accurate theory. Okay, is the, the fourth book in the series, uh-huh. The Wizard in the Glass, or The Wizard in Glass, is a fantastic book. It's probably the best in the whole are series. We, can we safely say we are spoiler free? This, this is spoiler point? free. All right, guys. Just unless so you, you can yeah. come back, click back in. We are spoiler free. <laughs> if now. you're if you're listening, <laughs> click back in. So spoiler free. From here on out, but the, the the rumor I had heard was that Wizard in Glass, which is basically a flashback story for Roland. It's his first mission as a gunslinger. Okay. And it's when he meets Susan Delgado, who's referenced in some of the other books. Right, yeah, yeah. But it really plays no part in the overall Dark Tower journey, and I heard they were going to make a TV series out of that story, which would be awesome, and then have the Dark Tower movies and sequels be the actual Dark Tower journey. If they get to make sequels. Interesting. So that's what I hope happens. Which is a perfect segue because this right here explains one way that movies can be adopted. Adopted? Adopted. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of paperwork. You fill out paperwork. It's very expensive. You fly to Africa. (laughs) Or China. That's right. And wherever is trendy that year. And you purchase a baby. I mean a movie. A movie adaptation of a book. (laughs) So, but yeah, so this is one way that it can be done. So yeah. instead of being a direct adaptation, it is a continuation of something yeah. that is already existing. Or an ancillary, like, piece. Right. So, which is, you know, it's a fun way to do it, but it kind of opens the question, and this is where I want us to really get into. I'm glad we've segued after half our episode on the Dark Tower. But what is the best way to adapt a book into a film. And I want your opinion on this because as you said, that's one way to do it. Another way to do it is a straight, straight out adaptation. So like word for word, scene for scene, try to get as much in there as possible. 
And another way is to take the essence of the story and then sort of rework it. Okay. So where do you stand on what makes a good book to movie adaptation and what is there a defining way to do it right? As the avid reader that other people are (laughs) and that I am not, I will have to say um, I prefer the feeling of a reworked story versus something that stays stringently adherent to something that exists currently. Okay. My reason for that is sometimes I feel like when you're doing an adaptation of anything, right? Book, video game, comic book, <laughs> video game. Um I feel like sometimes adaptations can have a real and for lack of a better term, a gun for hire kind of feel. Mhm. Where it's like, well, we already have the story. We already have all the scenes mapped out. So we can really just throw anybody in this movie and throw a director on it. And this is what we want. As opposed to, I kind of like it when you have something that you really love. That was a creative vision to begin with in the book. And then you get other people who have interpretations. And they deliver a singular vision of their own. Uh-huh. I think sometimes that provides for the most interesting adaptations right. of of things. Um I think one of the best explorations of that that was not that is not even an adaptation, but is called adaptation. Oh yeah. And Charlie Kaufman kind of breaks down in that movie what it means to adapt something. Yeah, starring well. uh, that one starring Nicholas Cage, Cage and Nicholas Cage. Right, correct. And Meryl Streep right. and Chris Cooper. Um, but that movie is about a writer or twin brother writers that are adapting a novel, and it's a very interesting like perspective of like how stringently do you adapt? It's very odd. But also in that movie, they're adapting what is quite possibly the most boring novel ever. The just orchid about, thief. Just about like orchid collection. <laughs> Um, yes, that is, that is true. And, but I mean that, and that actually, that movie sort of goes into a theme that I want to talk about is just like you referenced, one of the things that Charlie Kaufman apparently abhors and mentions in that movie is the idea of adapting something and then inserting commercial elements. You do know that that is just real quick, that adaptation is an adaptation of the book, the orchid thief which is an actual book published by Susan Orleans, which is Meryl Streep's character in the movie. Yes. That is a 1998 book. So from my understanding, adaptation (laughs) is the adaptation from my understanding is adaptation is sort of a biopic of what Charlie Kaufman went through trying to write a screenplay to adapt that book into a movie. So it becomes, and it is actually listed on the books wikipedia page Uh on the orchid thief's wikipedia page it is listed as the film adaptation of that book is adaptation i mean i guess i mean sort of but yeah it's a real weird it's super meta meta like meta on top of meta with like a side helping of a meet and three (laughs) of metas but i mean that movie makes a good point though because he was talking about like oh the orchid thief like doesn't have a lot of car chases and explosions, and I don't want my adaptation to be that. But in the movie adaptation, there are car chases and explosions, and it becomes that at the end as sort of a meta-commentary on always having to insert some sort of commercial element to make it, quote-unquote, more popular. And palatable. Yes, which that, to me, is where I think a lot of book-to-movie adaptations fail, is... I am sort of on the fence on whether I think a straight adaptation is preferable or if it's, you know, the themes and the the tone and the general story is taken and then adapted by a very skilled screenwriter and or director. Because I've seen it done well both ways. I sure. mean, for instance, like The Godfather or Gone with the Wind and No Country for Old Men are nearly straight-up adaptations sure. of their source material. But there's a lot of other ones, like you know The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, or you know a lot of the books in the Harry Potter series are heavily edited 
and you know condensed and streamlined to make them more palatable but they all keep the heart of of what the novel is trying to express sure and i think that's where a lot of book to movie adaptations fail is they fail when they don't trust the source material. Yeah, so absolutely. If the source material is trying to make a certain point about society or trying to make a certain point about media or family or whatever it may be, and then the movie takes just the story and ignores or doesn't trust those themes to be accepted by the mainstream, that's when there's this huge disconnect for people. Because all the scenes are there, sure, but the heart and the purpose isn't there. Sure. Well, let's use. Um, so there's a pretty, there's a pretty big um, adaptation that I believe it or not, a lot of people I talked to didn't even realize was was an adaptation. Um, but this perfectly leans into my category of why you know I I like an artistic vision sometimes better than a direct adaptation. Jaws. Yeah. Jaws is an adaptation yeah. of the Peter Benchley novel. It sure is. But makes some pretty major changes mm-hmm. regarding the book to the movie. And I'm pretty sure everyone can agree that Jaws the film is a cinema classic. That it is a very well and highly regarded film. Right. Much more so than the book ever right. was or will be. Um so I would say, and and because um, you know there was some pretty, there was some pretty major changes in the book, um, you know, mainly with some of the characters. It Hooper, wasn't a shark, Hooper. It wasn't. <laughs> it was actually just a tiny goldfish. It's ironically an adaptation of the Old Man in the Sea. <laughs> yes, <laughs> or Moby Dick. Um, but basically, um, you know, they they did some really big changes and. I would say totally crushed the novel. Oh, yeah. And so, therefore, that was solely Steven Spielberg's vision right. from that from that book. He read the book. He was inspired by the story. And he said, I've got a story to tell using these pieces. I want to capture what I felt yes. reading this book. And that is what he did. And I would say it's hard for anybody to argue that they I, – I, have yet to meet a, per- meet a person that was like, oh, no. Jo- F- fuck Jaws the movie. <laughs> but have, have you read that book, though? Yeah, you read- <laughs> Yo, bro, you've read that novel? You read that novel, though? That Peter Bisley? <laughs> That's straight up horrifying. Holy shit. Holy I shit, I couldn't take dude. a bath after reading that novel. Dude, like, Jaws the novel is like, oh, my God, bro. But Jaws the movie is like Snorefest. Right. Like you never hear that conversation. Never. Um, I've got three examples that play right into that. Okay, idea. perfect. So one that I think of immediately off the bat that does the exact same thing, and all of these, in my opinion, truly rely. Was not an oh, my God! In heaven, the computer just got possessed. <laughs> Is it the ghost of the as, librarian? As as I was stop saying, it. I'm trying. Make it stop. Holy hell. We're not going to edit that out. All right, it's all good. Okay. So I've got... (laughs) Get out of here, librarian. (laughs) You don't don't belong here no more. You a ghost. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. So back to... to, I don't even remember what I was talking about. My three examples. Yes. But what I think really... And you had said gun for hire earlier. Which I think that is a critical flaw in a lot of book-to-movie adaptations where they just pick any old director... And find any old cast. That is the first step in the wrong direction. Because in order to successfully adapt a movie into... I mean, a book into a movie. You have to have a director and a screenwriter who have a clear vision and know what the fuck they're doing. So, we mentioned No Country for Old Men. Yeah. Which is almost a straight word-for-word adaptation. The Coen Brothers can do that. And if you guys want to hear us discuss that, by the way, check out oh, our, yeah. our Coen Brothers episode. Which is the one right before this. Uh-huh, the Coen Brothers abide. Dude. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, Spielberg, very established, has a vision. You know, the ones that Scorsese adopt, adapts yes. are, very much in the, yeah, are, are very much in the Scorsese fashion. Sure. But one of the ones that is very different from the source material, yet keeps the heart and is done by a director who knows what they're doing, is Blade Runner. 
Yes. You know, from the uh, do at the do uh, do Android dream of electric sheep. Yep. And so that's like a novella. Yes. And very short, very short, very different from what the movie ends up being. But they feel very similar. But it's very much a Ridley Scott movie. That's a Ridley Scott joint. As yeah, I believe is <laughs> yes, what as, he calls them. As they, so that's one that I would throw into that category of what you were saying. I would, I absolutely one hundred percent agree with that. And then. The other elements are a lot of times what I find happens is screenwriters will pull their punch because novels have the ability to end in very dark places. And it's okay. Yes. Because most of the time a novel is about the ride. Yes. So, but I think elements are people that have taken it in the correct direction is let's talk about Frank Darabont's mist. (laughs) So I would say and I would put out on the table as evidence that he takes the novella another Stephen King adaptation yep. and changes the ending to make it darker and adds an element of making that movie his own but heightened from the novella and, that it's and based off of. And still incorporating the, f- the heart mm-hmm. and the feeling of the novel. It's one of the best adaptations of any Stephen King story. Can I, can I posit that a step further? Yeah. I'm going to say I think Frank Darabont may be one of the best filmmakers in Hollywood at adapting books. I agree with that 100% to use your phrase. I mean, especially when it comes to Stephen King stories. I mean, you're looking at like Shawshank and The Mist and The, um, uh, the, the Green, Green Mile. Mile. Um, and then also his work with The Walking Dead, which we're not talking about TV on this episode. We may later. Or comic books. Yeah, you know, graphic novels, comic books. Sure. Like, he is fantastic at figuring out those little elements. I mean, Frank Darabont, his student film was a, a Stephen King dollar baby. That's right. And he made it from The Woman in the Room, which is yep. a very straightforward story. But it, he kind of gets those themes and that heart. Um, another one I'll throw out is evidence that changes the book wildly to stick with the Stephen King story is Kubrick's The Shining. Absolutely. It is a great book and it is inarguably a cinema classic. Sure. But they are widely different. Although a lot of the themes are there. Now I am in agreement with a lot of people that say, you know, he takes the story that he takes Jack's character and changes his motivations and some of, what he does in his film are ludicrously not related to what happens in the book. But if you take them as separate entities, they're both very, very good. I agree with that. But that's another way to kind of adapt that story, but using the, the skills of a very impressive filmmaker, not just any old dude off the street. Totally. And I will say a franchise that has seen both, Mm-hmm. Um, and we mentioned a little bit earlier, is the Harry Potter franchise. Right. So the Harry Potter franchise has had some amazingly talented directors, but from time to time has had kind of a hired gun scenario where they're yeah. like, well, you know, Christopher Columbus directed and, and kind of guided the first two Guided them movies. all the way to America. And, uh, and, then, and then left. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you ended up with, which is arguably the movie that set the visual palette for the Harry Potter verse moving forward, which is mm-hmm. Alfonso Cuarón's, which he's his, his is great. The Prisoner, Prisoner of Azkaban, Azkaban is so good, but it, and you got to say, if, if you go back and check out the, the original two movies versus his movie, mm-hmm. his movie, his director's vision set, what would be the visual tone yeah. for the rest of the series? I mean, like, and David Yates picked that up. Absolutely. Brilliantly. And I don't, did he direct four, five, six, seven, and seven? I believe so, yes. Okay. And he did Fantastic Beats and Where He to did. Um, and Fantastic Beasts. Beasts. I definitely said Fantastic Beats. You did. <laughs> Which is a. Which is directed by Dr. Dre. <laughs> Damn it. You, you beat me to it. That's exactly the joke I was going to make. But no, I mean, I agree. And one of the things that I love about the Harry Potter series as a book and as a movie. Sure. Is that. The book series matures as the series goes on. So the first book and the first two books are very childlike. Young, yeah, young adult, childlike. 
I wouldn't even say they're even below young adult. I would yeah. say go, going back and watching those first two movies. I mean, the, I'm talking about the novels. Oh, yes. But the movies yes. themselves, the movies did the same thing. Mm-hmm. The movies feel very yeah. kiddy. You yeah, know they what do. I mean? They do. And it's because the main actors are kids at yeah, that they're point. Like, they're 13, 14 years old. I think they were younger than that. I they, think they were like 10. Probably when they started. Yeah. I can't, I imagine. But as and people have done analysis on this and i think it's very interesting as the book series progresses jk rowling's verbiage gets more complicated her sentence structure gets um harder more sophisticated that they get longer um the themes get darker it deals with maturity and deals with death i mean main characters die all over the place starting in book four. Oh yeah absolutely and they capture that in the movies as well and i think i would credit alfonso curon for starting that in the in the Prisoner of Azkaban, making it a dark, almost stepping stone away from a kid's sure. series. And then the last four or five kind of carry that. Carry that. And as the actors mature, so do the movies and so do the themes in those movies. I will agree with that because I I implore anyone who hasn't watched the Harry Potter oeuvre yeah. anytime recently, go back Watch the startling difference between one, two, and three. Yeah, it is like a, like you have stepped into a completely different cinematic yeah. world. While it has elements from the first two, the 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 characters dress different, mm-hmm. they're styled differently. The whole thing has this blue wash, blue green wash filter over the entire thing. It's got this. Quran is like, great about oh, washing man. his films. It's got this really I mean, like Children of Men does the same thing, but absolutely. it's like a sepia exactly. wash. But he does this really, cool, but it evokes a feeling. It feels kind of bleak, and that movie is kind of a bleak movie. It has some really heavy shit that it mm-hmm. deals with. Um, but that's where I was going to say that yeah. I feel like a if if a director is given opportunity. To really not necessarily be beholden 100% to the page, mm-hmm. but instead to communicate that book or that material through the prism of their vision, then that's when we can be in for something that is really a, a, a exciting and interesting right treat to sound like a very old person. I would say a fun experiment to do with those movies is to watch the first one and then watch the last one. <laughs> that would be cr- I'm I sh- mean it's crazy because if you think of the first one it is so lighthearted the whole time. I mean it's basically like a home alone type movie yeah. as Chris Columbus again. And then you watch the 7th one and main characters are dying 20 minutes in like you're getting choked up throughout it. There's like elements of love and sacrifice and and parenting and it's heavy, right? And just to think that they're in the same series is sort of baffling. Um, and one of the things that I would point out is that you know a lot of the books that we're talking about, it's uh, and Stephen King is actually a great example of this as well, since we started with him. But there are other directors that, I mean, other writers that you can do this with. But it's not even so much about the source material quality either. Because different directors and different screenwriters can adapt them in different ways, and novels from the same author can have drastically different outcomes. And instead of going back to Stephen King, which his examples are all over the board from Shawshank and you know Green Mile to you know The Cell and Sleepwalkers, like it's he he runs the gamut of where his adaptations kind of land in quality. But like Gillian Flynn. She's a great example of someone recently who is a oh. uh, personification of this. Gone Girl is a very good novel, and it's adapted very well because it was adapted by a quality, skilled filmmaker. Her other novel, um, was it uh, Dark Places? Uh-huh. People like that novel just as much. Her writing quality is not that bad. The Charlize Theron movie, total disaster. Oh, 100%. So it has nothing to do with the actual skill of the author. Right. It has everything to do with how and who is adapting it. The skill it. of the adapter. And it it really it, – that's what matters in this is not just giving it to any old person. is finding someone who understands the theme and the heart of a novel and then can put their spin 
on it. Or just letting Frank Darabont do all of them. Everything. I mean, just it, anytime they're like, hey, we got a book that we optioned. We need it to be a movie. Call up old Frankie. Old Frankie yeah. D. Yeah. He'll come through and he'll <laughs> knock it home. Well, because, I mean, we can avoid all the shitty adaptations. And there, there are some times when a book probably shouldn't be adapted. And that's that's a very common thing. So I've got two examples of that. Okay. That, like, I think that while I love the book and while there are things to like about the movie, A Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy should never have been adapted. I to will the disagree with you there. I think that is a wonderful movie. That is an okay movie. I think it is a wonderful it movie. It is an okay movie. But the the true joy of that book is how he plays with syntax and how he plays with like words and verbiage and conversation. And I don't think that's able to be adapted as well as they wanted it to be adapted. I disagree. Okay. And here's my argument for that. Sure. Because I am a fan of both. Um, I will say that I feel like this is one of those prime examples where they not necessarily a director's vision, but the screenwriter as well as the studio had the ability to take the heart and feeling of the book and distill it down into a movie. And Mm -hmm. I thought it worked. I thought it sold all of the book's points. Um, It kept that kind of um, on the nose, tongue in cheek kind of feeling throughout. Um, And it had some, brilliant casting. Yes. Casting on that one is out of this world. I mean, you've got no m- pun intended. You've got most deaf. I mean, Sam Rockwell. I mean, come on. It's great. And, uh, and what's his face? The man dude. The, uh, I always call him Jim from the office, but it's not, it's not it's, Jim. It's the, it's Tim from the original. Yeah, office. It's, I don't uh, remember it's Watson name. from Sherlock. Oh yeah. I'm sure we're going to have a bunch of like nerds. <laughs> hitting Martin us Freeman. Up. Yes. Thank you. Martin Freeman. You've saved us from the nerds. <laughs> um, back off nerds. Back, uh, you calm down. Okay, um, well, since we're not going to agree on that one, I'll throw out another example. Okay, I think the book John Dies at the End, I love. Yes. Have you read that one? I have. Have you seen the movie? I have. I did not like that movie. I disagree with you. You do again? <laughs> yes. That, movie's, that movie does not capture okay. that book. First off, it's directed by Dan Cascarelli. Yeah. The director of Bubba Hotep. Yeah. And Phantasm. I know. Uh, I did not think it captured that book. I will say... It went a little wonky. The book is really wonky, though. Well, and that's why I'm saying, like, that's something that I don't think can be successfully adapted to. It's super long. Yes. It's super complicated, and it's super serialized. Okay. Because it was written as will, an online web. That's fair. Novel. I will agree with you. I will. I will give you that. Although I just don't want to say that I didn't enjoy the movie. I mean, I smile throughout I the movie. Enjoyed, Paul Giamatti is is, is great in it, but it's one of those where the novel was based off of a serialized web blog yes. that got turned into a novel, almost like The Martian, but The Martian's better. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, The Martian the same way. Right. But th- it's too long and too complicated to put into an hour and forty seven minute movie. I think. I just don't think it can success. I think it could have worked as a TV series. Right. Um, but I do not think that they successfully did in that movie what the novel right. did for me. Well, I will say um, still to this day, I think one of the finest examples of an adaptation is uh, the beginning of the series, The Fast and the Furious, from the article Racer X. <laughs> uh, the that way fa- that they just captured... Yeah. The flavor of that article of that article in Auto Trader magazine, yes, yeah. um, you know, just... based off the fantastic John Updike novel, a John Updike novel, yes, uh, the fastest and fury, right? Yes, one hundred. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That fucking series is garbage. No man, it's uh, it's a. Do you know how many people love that movie? That, so, that series? Oh, it's it's just so to take a popular. minute. It just passed one. The fate. Okay, first off, do you remember I texted you? The day they announced the title of this movie, because I was like, Jay, get this. They have named Fast and the Furious 8 the fate of the Furious. And, okay, they didn't even double down on it because they spelled fate out. It wasn't F8. 
Right. They used F8 in a lot of the advertising, but the actual right. name was Fate spelled out. It's like, if you're going to do it, do it. God damn it. Right. Because clearly that's what you're going for. Yes. But it was amazing. But it just passed $1 billion it's, at it's the like box office. It's like the most office. profitable movie in yeah. history or I think, something I like think that. They, they had said something recently. It's one of the most yeah. profitable series oh, yeah. in history. And that, uh, and not credit where credit's due, but evidence where evidence is due. When you take American box office, yes. that's not the case. It's Correct. global box office. This movie's huge in like Japan and China. Uh, correct. And China's pretty big. But I, is it? Yeah. But I will say this. If these fucking movies can make so much money and be so successful, we can get more good book-to-movie adaptations. Well, and that actually segues into something I'd like us to talk about as we kind of wrap up. Okay. Is we've talked about good ones. We've talked about bad ones. We've talked about Fate of the Furious. <laughs> I want to see if you have any off the top of your head of books that have not been adapted that should be adapted. Cause I have like four or five of mine that like they're books that I love that I think could be adapted in the right hands, but just have never, Can I say never one that's done. upcoming that is being adapted yeah, that I'm very excited about. Um, I ready player one. Oh my God. Yes. I, I made you read that. Yes. Book. And I remember you came to me and you were like, Hey man, I really think you're going to like this, this book. It's chock full of awesome pop culture references from the eighties. It's, it's a really fast read. It's like it's a dystopian a good... Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's fun. Yes. Um, it does deal with some legitimately heavy shit, um, but it's a great movie. I mean, it's a great book. And I read it, and I think I I read it in the mo- in the the fastest record time that I've ever you read. You gave a book. it back to me in like a week and a half. Yeah, and I was like, I read it. And yeah. You were like, first off, no, you didn't. <laughs> yeah. I and did. you were like. Bullshit, because there are no pictures in this. So there is no way that you went through it that fast. And I was like, no, seriously, I couldn't put it down. Yeah, it is. And I told I- you that that would happen because that's what happened to me. It was one of those books where it's rare that I find a book where I'll start reading it. And then before I know it, it's like four in the morning. And I'm just like, I had to get to the next chapter. Right. I had to get to the end of this right. section. That happened to me like with some Stephen King books. Happened to me with The Martian. And it happened to me with Ready Player One. And Ready Player One was like the only book that year that that happened to me with. And that's getting ready to be – it is currently yeah. filming with Steven Spielberg. And it – from what I've read about it, hopefully will be pretty good. Is it weird though that in today's times I hear Steven Spielberg and I'm kind of like, oh Meh. no. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just like, I don't know how I feel about that. The thing about the, – the reason I'm excited that Steven Spielberg is doing it is because most of the references in the book uh-huh. are movies that he was somehow involved with. I whether 100% like agree. A, he directed it or he produced it or he was like a, a silent like investor Which in it. Which leads me to feel like they're going to be able to use yes. all of those things instead of having yeah. to be like, well, we're just going to have to change this to a to schmosh busters. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like back to the features. <laughs> right. You know, they're just gonna have to like small changes, like fucking edited for TV curse. More words. blames. Right. You didn't remember that cinema yeah. classic. Starring John Fusack. Because starring uh, Bro- uh, Matthew Broadnack. <laughs> well, um, I mean, and I actually when I I think when I gave it to you it was before some of the adaptation was announced and I was we were talking about it, I was like, I wish this could be adapted, but there's no way they could get the rights to everything that's in right. this novel. And those elements are immensely important to that oh, plot. Oh, 100%. And so that was my fear. And then it was like, oh, Steven Spielberg's on board. I'm like, oh, well, they can get like 80% right off the bat. He's got <laughs> enough clout in Hollywood yeah. that he can be like, I need to yeah. use this. And well, they're just like, okay. Well, half his stuff. Right. So he just would release the rights. Right. Like One of the b- books on my list of that has never really been adapted is Catcher in the Rye. Okay. And that's super crazy to me because it's one of the most popular books ever. I mean, Basketball Diaries is sort of based off of it. Sure. But it's about a kid who reads it and then does what right. he does. But J.D. Salinger would not release the rights to it. That's what happened. He just refused to release the rights for it to be made into a movie. And he died in like 2010. And now people have been fighting over it for like six years. So it will be made into a movie, but it hasn't yet. And I think nowadays would be a good time. At least it would be acceptable. I mean, that movie is full of like teenage sex and profanity and violence sure but we're getting things like that nowadays i mean like teens um 
And uh, just in general, no, no, there's the movie, the movie oh. Teens. <laughs> I thought you were just listening. No, like, no. like <laughs> the teenagers. No, 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 like the the movie Teens. I think that's what it's called. Um, but I mean, even that new that new series on Netflix that came out, like Thirteen Reasons Why. Oh yeah, yeah, it's full totally. of teenage sex and violence and oh, and violent. I mean, definitely like death. And so, like those types of bullying themes are sort of making their way and being more acceptable nowadays. Sure. Um, another one for me is uh, Confederacy of Dunces. Okay. Do you know about this book? I do not. Okay. This book was written by a guy named John Kennedy Toole. I love this book. It's incredibly dense and incredibly, quote-unquote, literature But it's hilariously done, and it basically follows this idiot who sort of fumbles his way through life and gets into all these, like, epic things with his mom and the local PD and stuff. Uh-huh. The, the interesting thing about this movie is or this book is it has been attempted to be adapted something like nine or 10 times. Holy shit. Like in 1982, Harold Ramis got the rights and was writing it for John Belushi and Richard Pryor. RIP. And then it, all of them. And then it fell apart. And then a couple years later in 97, Stephen Fry got the rights and was trying to adapt it. He couldn't make it work. Um, John Goodman, Chris Farley, and John Candy have all been pegged to play the lead character, Ignatius, and they all fell apart. Um, in 2005, Steven Soderbergh got the rights and hired David Gordon Green to direct it. Interesting. And then it was all in the planning stages, and then it fell apart. So what they did is they just did a live stage reading of what the, of the book and what they were going to do. And here was the cast that they had lined up for this. Okay. So I've already mentioned Steven Soderbergh and David Gordon Green. Uh-huh. The cast is Will Ferrell, Lily Tomlin, Paul Rudd, Most Def, Olympia Dukakis, Alan Cumming, and Jesse Eisenberg. What? And they couldn't make it work. They couldn't get it to the production So basically phase. what you're telling me is it's never going to get made. I mean, and it was... It's tried, in development yeah. hell. It tried to be adapted in 2012 with Zach Galifianakis fell apart. Uh, two years ago, it was adapted into a stage play starring Nick Offerman, and that's as far as it went. Steven Soderbergh has said it's cursed. That's crazy. But it's hilarious, and it's smart, and it has um, amazing themes, but it's just no one can figure out how to bring it to life. Interesting. And it's just waiting for that perfect touch, and it'll probably be terrible if they right. ever do get to make sure. it. Sure. It'll probably be Zack Snyder. Oh, my God. Zack Snyder's Confederacy Dawn of the Dawn of the Dunces. <laughs> Rise of Justice. What um I mean like what other ones have you have you thought of like that have never I don't been... know if you know this, but I haven't read a whole <laughs> lot of books, man. <laughs> you want some Betty and Veronica um, I do. stories? Uh I can speak of a movie that I read first and then was adapted into a book. So it's already been oh, done. Wait, hold on. I want to follow the line. <laughs> no, of the other. A movie Sorry. that you read first <laughs> no, and then was adapted into a book. See, that's how I see books as just movies. <laughs> it's just. I actually call them future <laughs> movies. <laughs> I love that line. It, I read the movie and then it was adapted into a book. Yeah. Can we put that on a t-shirt? <laughs> the only time I ever think that's happened is when they made a novelization of Home Alone 2. <laughs> which I had. And I read. And it was fantastic. And then I got grounded because in the book, they had the number for the Plaza Hotel that Kevin McAllister uh-huh. calls. And I called it from our house phone. And it was the real Plaza Hotel. And I racked up like $80 of long distance charges because I called from Tennessee to New York <laughs> about eight times. Uh, <laughs> Just because the phone number was of, in print in the uh, book. Of course you did. Um, I can't, man. Unfortunately, I don't really, um, I don't read. Okay. Um, it's not, I mean, I'm illiterate. <laughs> well, I've got, I've got one more that I think that I, I sound pretentious even saying I like this book, but I do. <laughs> it wasn't that that made you sound pretentious. <laughs> <laughs> See what I did there? Yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> But does this tie make my face yeah. look fat? No, your face makes your face look fat. <laughs> <laughs> Which was adapted by the that fantastic uh, um, Ernest Hemingway novel. That's right. Your face looks fat by Ernest, Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> the old man and the boy. <laughs> um, but Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace. I don't know what that is either. It is a gigantic tome 
and it's basically impossible. So to so adapt. far, you've just been like, and and this book is a giant tome, and then this book is it, also it, a giant. It, tome. it is, but I mean, this one is like one of the longest books I've ever read in my life. But it's fantastically done, and it's about a movie. Okay, like the the premise of the book is basically a movie has been developed that drives people insane. Okay. And it, uh, because it's so entertaining that people just watch it until they die. That's kind of the premise of the book. And it follows like the production of the movie and then like a mystery surrounding it and like all the characters involved with it. But one of the things that David Foster Wallace does in the book is almost every page has like seven or eight, like subtitled like stars that you have to read like cliff notes almost. And then there's an appendix in the back with like historical documentation that he's made up for all of this stuff. Like he builds a world and it's one of the most impressed, like impressive and critically acclaimed literary works, but there's zero way it could ever be adapted except into like a long form television show a la game of Thrones. Interesting. Actually, um, do you remember the movie came out a couple of years ago with Jason Siegel and Jesse Eisenberg, End of the Tour? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That movie is a biopic where Jason Siegel plays David Foster Wallace and Jesse Eisenberg plays a reporter from the Rolling Stone who follows him on the book tour for Infinite Jest. Oh. And David Foster Wallace is like this really kind of out there, hipster type, secluded literary genius. And it's just them becoming friends. Is that? Then, have you seen that movie? I have. It's very, Is it any good? It's very good. Okay. It's incredibly good. And then David Foster Wallace, you know, suffered from depression, suffered from like mental issues, and ended up killing himself. Oh, did he? Like a few years later. Wow. Okay. Um, but the movie is incredibly powerful. But it's about this book tour, and just this book could I don't think could ever be adapted. Okay. I would love it to be, and I would love it to be done well. I just don't think it can be done. Okay. So those are mine. Interesting. I like those. Yeah. I'm on board with that. I would like it though, because you don't know what books are. If any of our listeners have books that you love that just have never been adapted that you want to see, I mean, share those with us on Twitter or on our Facebook, because I want to get into a conversation with people about like good books that should be adapted into, you know, good movies. Oh, absolutely. I 100% agree. Um, and they can do that where? Uh, Twitter is hi, the number five, the podcast, um, Facebook is just a facebook.com slash high five, the podcast all spelled out. You can email us at my five at high five, the podcast.com all letters, no numbers. Yeah. Or if you want to go to our website and just comment on, you know, the post where this episode is playing, it's high five, the podcast.com. Yep. Or, um, you can also, if you want to see more about what we've written about you can, uh, check out uh, letterboxd. Right. And that's a letter. L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D. No E. Gotcha. Letterboxd.com. We do movie reviews there. We and have I'm, some of our top five lists. I'm sure we'll have a book to yeah. movie adaptation list up there at some point. Oh, sure. At some point. Of course. So keep your eyes peeled. Woohoo! Um, so that's it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think... I mean, there, there's obviously more we can talk about here. I think that, you know, I would like us to get into... Well, there's a TV adaptation. I think there's a lot of room, honestly, for I, I would eventually <laughs> like to discuss all of the different iterations of adaptations. Ooh. Ooh. So that'll be this. That's the name of the series. <laughs> iterations, iterations of, of adaptations. adaptations. That has a nice ring to it. I mean, hell, like Carrie has been adapted like four different times. Yeah. Honestly, we could probably just have a Stephen King episode. Ooh. As well. Ooh. I know. I just, we should totally do that. I'm going to need you. Your boner is punching me in the I, face i don't care i'm gonna need you to calm down we're in a public library there's boners everywhere yeah it's just full of boners that's what, this, that's what this place is um so yeah so i say keep your eyes peeled or your ears peeled your everything boners peeled. peeled uh i'm we'll, just gonna put it in the hard-on catalog yeah that, <laughs> nice ah, um i think we will uh this will be a to be continued situation because uh, I think we'd like eventually to talk no. comic book or or adaptations. We'd I mean, like we talk haven't even touched video like, game adaptations. We haven't touched the Watchmen. We haven't touched um, uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the Universe. Right. We haven't touched The Walking Dead. Yeah. Um, I mean, and then so once, many things. Once you get into TV, you have like eleven, twenty two, sixty three. We have haven't talked Game of Thrones, Island of the Dead. No. Oh, yeah. Or are we you have, talking about Dead Island? No, Island of the Dead. That's oh. that U Bowl movie. 
Oh, it was adapted from video game. I thought I thought you meant we uh, haven't Dead Island. We haven't talked the forthcoming Brad Payton directed The Rock starring Rampage video game adaptation. <laughs> right, which I don't know how that's going to work. Yeah. We also haven't uh talked uh, The Rock starring a uh, Doom adaptation. Ugh. Yeah. There's just so or much Or the Ubol House of the Dead yeah, adaptation. That's what I was thinking of. Not Island of yeah. the Dead. House of the Dead. I'm thinking of Dead Island, that video game that's yeah. like the first person shooter that's yeah. really boring. But Ubol adapted House of the Dead, which is that yeah. arcade shooter. Yeah. We also haven't sense. talked to the Wing Commander adaptation. <laughs> um, which I would love uh based off that a Star Fox sixty four movie. Nice. It would need to be called Star Fox sixty four. We though, haven't discussed why Zelda hasn't been adapted yet. Why hasn't Zelda been adapted yet? That's plot driven all I over the like place. I feel like that's rife for a fantasy epic. Right? I mean, okay. I have to put this out there as goddamn World of Warcraft was adapted. Yeah. Not well, but it exists. It was, and by you're Duncan telling, Jones. And, uh, right. right. <laughs> Come on, Moon. What, what happened? What happened? I think we. T- I don't know if we talked about this on a previous source episode. Source code? Didn't he? Did he do source? He code? did source code. I have a theory that Duncan Jones, and I'm almost positive I said this on our sci-fi episodes. Duncan Jones gets worse the more money he's given. It's true because Moon was a shoestring budget. He had a little bit more money for source code, and it was a little bit worse than Moon. He had a shit ton of money for World of Warcraft, and it was a shit. Storm. It's the worst movie he's done to yeah. date. So he needs to just get, someone needs to just give him eight thousand dollars and say make something and it's going to be awesome, right? But the fact that World of Warcraft exists as a film and Zelda does the not, best it has had was like a shitty '90s cartoon series. What are we doing, World? What the hell are we doing? I'll tell you what we're doing, World Warcraft. Oh my god, <laughs> I hate you. Because of that, I'm leaving. We should fine. I'm walking out of this library and I'm done with this. Shh.